how do we feed billions of people around the world? And we're going to get into that with this next conversation. And it's all about aquaculture, but Matt Mulrinen is uh, one of our, uh, is leading the charge as one of our sponsors from XPRIZE Foundation. They've been super supportive, and Matt is here to give us an update on XPRIZE and all the other things that they're doing. So please give a warm welcome to Matt Mulrinen. All right, hi guys. Uh, I'm going to be pretty brief because I really want to dig into the, the aquaculture panel, but um, I just wanted to mention a couple updates from last year. How many of you guys were at the, the summit last year? Okay, great. Um, I'm glad you guys returned this year. So we are trying to build this out, um, and the reason we got involved from an XPRIZE perspective is that we try to bring people together to solve problems, and this is a great community of problem solvers in Southern California. Um, and I'm really seeing the power of a lot of connections that happened here at the summit that were followed up on last year. And we have an update that I'm going to show you a quick video about uh, something I mentioned to you last year about a corals prize that we're trying to launch still. And so we've actually done a bunch of work on that uh, over the last year. But a couple updates from the panel that I hosted last year. We had a guy from Sea Status who developed a weather app. He actually just had an exit and sold to another company and they merged. Um, that just happened in the last couple weeks. And then just last week, we also had Nick from Save the Waves, if you remember him, he was also another one of the winners in this app challenge that we ran. And uh, he actually, they, they did their own challenge that we supported to try and find the dirtiest beach around the world and crowdsource it to identify it and go clean it up. So they actually just got their winner. It's in Suva, Fiji. Uh, a pro surfer, a woman pro surfer there, actually identified that. And now they're going to be going there to try and clean up that break in the capital of Fiji. So pretty cool uh, full circle update that those, some of those connections happened here at the summit last year. And XPRIZE Ocean Initiative, we're trying to support you guys. So if you guys have any ideas, please uh, let me know. So for all of you guys who aren't familiar, XPRIZE, we are a nonprofit. We're, in, we're here in Culver City. We do big prizes for innovation to solve grand challenges. Okay? We're best known for incentivizing the first private space flight. Uh, and now you guys know SpaceX and all these major private space industries. Uh, XPRIZE was the first private space flight, so it broke some barriers. It was not even legal to do private space before the first XPRIZE. The, XP the FAA did not allow you to just launch your own aircraft into orbit. Okay, so the, a lot of breakthroughs were made. A $10 million prize that was awarded in 2004 attracted $100 million into the private space industry. So now we've used that model, the prize model, the crowdsourcing model, to try and solve grand challenges in all sorts of different fields. We've done more Ocean X prizes than any other. And so we turned the space organization into oceans. And truly, as you guys all know, there are huge grand challenges facing the ocean. So we did one on oil spill cleanup. We did one on ocean health. It was about ocean pH sensors and ocean acidification. And that's what I came on to work on five years ago. Uh, our current one is deep sea exploration and mapping the entire sea floor to a high resolution within our lifetime, hopefully. Um, so we have some autonomous tools that we're going to be announcing that prize, a $7 million prize in late May. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And then what's the next Ocean X prize is the cool thing that I get to think about a lot. And one of the grand challenges facing our ocean right now is the threat to coral reefs. Okay, you guys might know this. We are losing coral reefs at a dramatic rate. We could be some of the last generations to see coral reefs healthy in the environment, not in a picture. Okay, and by 2050 to 2100, we could lose 90%, up to 99% of coral reefs if we continue with the climate projections that we have right now. The newer climate report updated said we could lose 
And see, these are some of the, these are the rainforests of the sea. They're very important ecosystems for food security, for coastal protection, okay, and for jobs. And these are some of the poorest people on the planet uh, that live in coral countries. Okay, this is part of what we call the rising billion. Okay, these people are struggling with the impacts of climate change now. So how are we going to bring these corals back at all? If we lose them, how can we restore this ecosystem? Totally unknown right now. Okay, on land we're restoring over a million hectares of trees a year. In the ocean, we're always a little bit behind, um, and we're, we've restored 37 hectares. This is about a football field size. 37 hectares of corals so far. So on land, we're restoring at a rapid rate. They have goals for 300 million hectares by 2030. We don't even have a goal in the ocean. But if we can do corals, we can do oysters, we can do kelp, we can do seagrass. And this is being proven as an emerging field in the ocean space. So we got into corals, and over the last year we've been developing a huge prize, which could be the largest environmental prize in history if it's launched how I want it to be launched, and we're fundraising for it right now. So I want to roll this video about how we came to design out this prize. We did a crowdsourcing competition, actually get experts to design the prize with us, and they actually competed against totally different topics to see which one would come out and be the best topic that we want to launch. So let's go ahead and roll that video real quick. Five hundred million people around the world depend on coral reefs for food, security, livelihoods. We've lost half of coral reefs already. We're gonna lose 90% or more by 2050 if we don't take action. That's why it's prime to launch Ocean X prizes, because it really tackles those grand challenges facing the ocean. survival, not because it's easy, but because it is the toughest one. That's the spirit of the XPRIZE. The challenge is huge, the goal is audacious, but saving coral reefs might just help save the world. In this past week, I've become so desperately concerned about this prize. I really mean it, we don't have any time. When you're supporting the Coral Reef Project, you're not supporting coral reefs, you're supporting all life. Those are the lungs of the planet. We've got to have coral survival. If we do not fund this prize, your grandchildren will never be able to find Nemo. Every minute we waste is a minute we will never, ever get back. The winning team will supercharge the natural process of reseeding reefs to grow as many corals as possible over a square kilometer and to get them to growing up to two years age. Itself is awarded to teams that can plant 500,000 coral annually. This is a model that can scale globally. What we need right now is to break through this outplanning bottleneck. What are your thoughts here? At the end of the day, all the models we do, everything that we do, it all comes back to how do we get it out onto the reef and surviving? What's important is that all these technologies are tried, and we can't wait for any one of them any longer at all. Big hand for both teams here, Coral Survival and Coral Restoration.
Congratulations to the teams. You guys put so much work in this. This is an amazing opportunity for Corals. We're gonna work our butts off to do this. So yeah, so now we are working our butts off to do this. So if you guys are interested uh, and have any connections, we are looking for a sponsor to try and launch this prize. Um, and we just had a major announcement this week about, from the, the government of Abu Dhabi to launch several more uh, X prizes. They're going to be giving X prize over $80 million to launch a series of prizes. It's unclear if we're going to do something on corals, though. So, um, so we are looking for sponsors, if you guys uh, have any ideas. And the interesting part that this ties back into aquaculture is that they really took the principles of aquaculture and applied them to coral restoration. So one of the guys that you saw in there, Dr. David Vaughn, actually is an expert in this field. He was growing oysters and other things. And Philippe Cousteau went over to him and said, could you do that for corals? He was like, yeah, I mean, I guess we could regrow some corals and plant them back out. And that's what they've been doing. So they've been scaling up uh, and finding out really interesting ways to chop, chop these corals apart and regrow the smaller ones at, at much more rapid rates. So there are some cool solutions in the coral restoration space that really do tie into aquaculture. So, um, I'm going to bring up what I think is one of the most exciting panels um, at this whole summit uh, to talk about um, the solutions in aquaculture and, and three individuals that, I, uh, that I've gotten to meet and actually see. The, the first federally permitted offshore aquaculture farm is here, is right here. So that's what's really cool about this panel is we're talking about what's happening right here in our backyard, some of the most innovative work in this field. So can we roll uh, some of the videos and then I'm going to bring up after you see your video call, just, uh, just head up on stage. So I asked each one of them to show the coolest video that they have uh, that details their project. We wanted to just kind of showcase the infrastructure that we're building. Right now there's actually a debate in California of building more oil wells offshore, or if we should save that area for aquaculture. Um, the obvious answer is aquaculture, regenerative aquaculture. Um, so that's hence why we showed the oil rig and get rid of it, get rid of it. Uh, we're building a kelp farm offshore with the Catalina Sea Ranch. Um, this is a part of our Department of Energy grant where we will be basically designing and developing and Im implementing the first ever offshore uh, seaweed farm in America. What we're doing is not crazy. You can see seaweed farms from space in China. We just need to bring that industry over to America. Uh, what we're growing is giant kelp, which is the fastest growing organism on the planet. The reason why the Department of Energy is having us figure out the best cultivation methods is because well, if it requires no fresh water, it cleans the oceans, requires no fertilizers, no lands, then why should this not be the future of biofuels? Um, this is just kind of our designed rigs. Uh, in the past, the Navy tried in the 1970s to deploy a system similar to this, and it blew away in a storm. But we're working with the leading scientists, researchers, entrepreneurs from around the world. Our team consists of members from Norway, from Faroe Islands, from Chile. Uh, we are so lucky to be on their team, helping them design and uh, implement this. And what we're doing is trying to unlock the oceans. Uh, offshore is the future of farming, it's the future of food production. And we're just kind of showcasing what, uh, what the possibilities hold. 
we'll, we'll get into right. what we're gonna use it for. Thank you so much, Brian. Uh, so this is Brian Schmidt uh, from, uh, this is wrong, so Scotty is his brother. Uh, I'm the little bro. They have the, uh, the company it. together and I've gotten to know them uh, quite well through this process. They've invited me out to see, um, uh, see the farm um, in Cali Sea Ranch uh, and their plans for the future. Uh, at Primary Ocean Producers is the, is the company, uh, Macrosystems. So um, next one, next video. Swimming like a fish is uh, pretty cool. <laughs> Till the end, welcome um, from a choir. Do you want to mention anything about that uh, sure. video? Sure. Hi, uh, Liana is my name, and Simeon Pirokowski in the back there is my uh, co founder and partner at uh, Aquai. So everybody always says, why fish? Why not just another platform, another box, another torpedo shape? And we all, our answer is simple. Mother Nature got it right. So what we're able to actually do and why it is a fish um, is we're able to gather the data uh, more efficiently, uh, power-wise. And also we're able to get up right close to the natural habitat without disturbing the natural habitat. So our, our solution for, in this case, farmers, is that they're able to get the data so that they're making the decisions that are smarter for the environment as well as for the stock. And so that you, the consumer, in this case, one of our farms that we're swimming at um, supplies Whole Foods is the salmon. And I can assure you that that salmon is very fresh and very healthy. So you're not eating, you know, there's a stigma around farmed fish, right? <laughs> so you're eating very healthy uh, salmon in this case. So. Fish as a service is what we service. do, and uh, we help the farmers. It's also a Nemo, right? It's like a Nemo shape. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Everybody loves a Nemo. Hold this up. Um, yeah, so uh, this video is um, part of our feature from the front page of the Washington Post in fall of 2018, um, and it was going into of offshore aquaculture for Feeding America. Um, Catalina Sea Ranch is the first offshore aquaculture facility in U.S. federal waters. It's still the only offshore aquaculture facility. Um, our cash crop is mussels, um, and we are uh, working on other native sustainable species as well that are in the R&D stage um, in the water as well. But mussels are our cash crop, and we're selling to the Southern California market right now. And um, our carrying capacity at the ranch is two million pounds. Wow. Awesome. awesome.
we going to advertise it? Of course. This is just the life we live right now. We can't avoid advertisements anyway. A muscle farm off the coast of California could be the future of the world's food supply. This is Catalina Sea Ranch, the first commercially viable aquaculture operation in U.S. federal waters. The mussels are grown on suspended ropes in 100 acres of open waters, which the Sea Ranch says gives them the capacity to supply 1,500 pounds of fresh mussels a day. As the world's population grows and the depletion of land increases due to terrestrial farming and ranching, sea farms could be the key to feeding the planet in the coming future. Now we get down to the business of farming. Does anybody want to talk about farms and farming? They also represent a rare patch of common ground between the Trump administration and the environmental community. The White House wants to reduce a 15 billion annual seafood trade deficit with nations such as China, Japan, and South Korea. While some environmentalists think this could be a substitute for terrestrial farming. But getting permits can be often difficult. California has not issued any for sea farming in state waters, pending environmental reviews. But some sea farmers don't want to lose time and are developing programs to raise shrimp, scallops, and finfish in federal waters. So far, Carolina Sea Ranch has plans to expand 30 times its current size. Welcome. So Carolina Sea Ranch and Lindsay, thank you guys. Thanks to the, the AV team. Thank you guys. Oh, you guys don't get enough credit. Uh, that was great. We always say at XYZ, you can do AI and not AV. So you guys crushed it. Um, so, we saw the projects, um, and we're talking about aquaculture today. For everybody who's not familiar, aquaculture is, is the farming of seafood or plants uh, for either human consumption or other products. Um, and so we're going to talk about why you know, that, that is needed at a macro level to feed the world, is that's what's being acknowledged. Uh, we have a growing population. We are looking offshore. Uh, this is a field that exists around the world. Uh, China is a, is a global leader in this. Asia is really crushing the United States on this. The United States is, is really brand new to the field of aquaculture. Um, but it is, we are going to have to increase food production 60% by 2050, and so people are looking to this field. So today we're not talking about, um, we're talking about some of the most sustainable food on the planet, really, with, with mussels, um, which new studies are coming out that says this is one of the most sustainable meats that, that exists, right? And, and they're even arguing vegans should eat this because it might be the best food uh, for the planet at large, because it involves very low energy input, no fresh water, really no space. And if you go out to the farm, you can't even see it out there uh, until you're right on top of it. So it's taking up, a, it's a very low impact on the environment. It's actually filtering water. It's doing a lot of benefits for the environment. So today we're talking about the least controversial kinds of, uh, of aquaculture. Um, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to dig into a little bit today. But what I love about this panel is none of you guys come from the ocean space, right? So um, really, you guys are not marine scientists, um, and you're solving ocean problems. That's what I kind of like about this crowd in general. So Liana, you have a really interesting background, um, totally not related to aquaculture um, or the fish. So can you give us uh, your story, how you came <laughs> okay. to be, how you came to create this awesome 
Okay, um, well, I, I have to blame my partner, who is the mind behind the machine. Um, I met him. I was a journalist in a previous career life. This is my second career. I was in Israel doing a story on the queue of Israel. Uh, James Bond queue, you know, the guy who made all the cool gadgets and stuff. That's my guy. Um, and so I met him, and he was obsessing about uh, his need to create a robotic fish. Uh, that stemmed uh, from a promise that he had made his daughter when she would work with him in the lab. He'd already built some two-meter-tall robots in his past to study HRI, human robotic interaction. And she came home from school one day after learning about the, chaos, uh, the crisis in the ocean and said, Pops, you know, you have to stop with the land-based systems, make a robotic system. And he studied and understood because of climate change and superstorms that really the, the system had to be biomimetic. It had to be able to integrate and withstand rough seas, but also be made of fewer parts, but most importantly, be affordable to really create an impact. The idea wasn't just to build another $100,000 you know, mapping drone or, or box that you can play with and drive, but it was really to build a system that could be used across many different industries to create the impact that we really need to uh, to preserve our ocean. So hence the robotic fish, and we, we ended up in aquaculture uh, because, um, you know, robot fish to monitor live fish is actually a really good story, and from a journalist, you're always looking for the good story, right? And so we uh, were very fortunate. I saw a documentary, A Fish on Your Plate, on Frontline, and I contacted the company that was featured as one of the most sustainable companies in the world in northern Norway, showed them a 30-second clip, and I said, this is what we do, and they fell over, and they said, come. So we did, and we were fortunate, had successful trials, and now, right now, at this moment, we have fish in the Arctic Circle, on the Arctic Circle, uh, monitoring those, what you saw, uh, autonomously. And you know, we're able to either, they run missions, they're an early warning system. And so the goal, again, as I mentioned before, was to help the farmers do their job. They don't want to cut corners, but as you pointed out, rightly so, the population is booming and everyone wants seafood. And we have to, we have to be sustainable in our approach to feeding the planet. And would you like to share the news that just happened recently um, with uh, an update on some investment opportunities for oh. you? Um, if you'd like to share with it, like just for all the aspiring entrepreneurs in the, in the audience, would you like okay, to share that? Okay, yeah, so it, yeah, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur here, just keep at it, you know. Just trust your gut, my whole thing is, and, and, and don't, don't sell yourself short. Um, because if you're doing something to improve our oceans, you're on the right track. And if you're doing something to feed our planet, you're on your right track. And just put your blinders on and don't listen to every, all the naysayers. Um, for four years in, we've done an incredible job to get as far as we have on very limited funds, most of it um, friends and family, a few uh, VCs. And then we just launched um, a round, and we have um, Boost VC, Adam Draper, is leading that for us. So uh, it's, we've awesome. been really fortunate to have him on board. We also have Arlen Hamilton from Backstage Capital, who's on our, and Growth X, um, Will uh, Smith. Actually, Will Bunker joined us ages ago when we were very early, because he was uh, coming from a catfish farming family. So he got it right away, right, way, way, way back when we just started. So we've been fortunate to be able to grow, and mostly, and most importantly, also our customers. Our customers who are leaders in the industry have also invested in us, because they see and they know I don't have to sell them. They get it. 
So there's nothing, I mean, I think, you know, just to speak to what you, you know, when you're trying to solve a problem and you go to your customer, and if your customer says, oh, I know this industry, I know this potential, I want in, you know you're on the right track. Thank you. Um, Brian, you told me your story at Summit, uh, where we met, um, and I was like, instantly, I was like, I'm going to be friends with this guy. Um, I got I to help out as much as I can with the seaweed uh, and the kelp farming. Uh, could you tell us, like, how did you end up? Yeah, how did you end up on the stage? It's, it's, a, it's a bit ridiculous. Uh, you know, seaweed saved me. Uh, two and a half years ago, I was producing major music festivals. I was traveling with some world-famous DJs, and I realized that life wasn't sustainable. Uh, so I decided, let's get into sustainability. Went on a little soul-searching uh, expedition to Myanmar, and I joined a Buddhist monastery in the poorest country in Southeast Asia. And I was sleeping on a wood plank, eating one meal a day. And they, uh, they gave us an algae pill, which was um, uh, spirulina, which is a microalgae, not to get confused with macroalgae, which is the seaweed, the plant-like microalgaes, you know, a single cell. Uh, but that led me towards thinking about algae, and my meditations just kept leading towards algae. Um, I come back to the States, uh, this is two years ago, and my brother, who would be up on stage, he says, man, you look good. Uh, how was your trip? I go, man, seaweed's my purpose. And he's just like, he's like little bro, just like, he's like, well, shit, I don't know my purpose, let's do it. And uh, my other partner out there, Brandon, he's a basically honey badger when it comes to research, and we just went on the books and basically went, Fast forward, I mean, I, so we studied harder than, I mean, I didn't study in college, so, so I studied harder than any I've ever done in my life, and that led us to meeting and interviewing Phil Kruver, because uh, we were trying to identify our entrance into the market. And Phil Kruver, who's a champion, the only person that uh, has a federal permit to do aquaculture, uh, you know, uh, he offered us um, a deal structure to where we invest in them and we get the uh, algae rights on the, uh, on the farm. Um, so we are basically developing with the RPE, Department of Energy, now we have a grant. Um, and we're developing the first, designing and implementing the first uh, offshore seaweed cultivation system uh, in the United States of America. Thanks to Phil, my partner, Scotty, and uh, I guess the Buddhist monastery. <laughs> the power of meditation is yeah, so, meditate. so important. Yeah. Um, such an excellent story. Um, and. And you guys are applying for a second round for ARPA-E as well, right? That's is that, correct. So. That is due uh, April 3rd. So that's why Scotty's head's down at the desk uh, right now. And our, if we win phase two with the Catalina Sea Ranch, uh, it'll be for about $4 million to deploy the system we've been designing and building over the last year with our just expert team from around the world. Uh, you know, We consider ourselves system integrators. We're not the scientists. We're not the, uh, you know, the, the seaweed farmers. We just try to help bring everything together. Uh, why recreate the wheel when the wheel's been made around the world? Just bring it here, combine it, and implement it. Thanks, man. Yeah. How'd you get on the stage? Um, yeah, so uh, Brian was mentioning Phil Kruver. That's my father. He's the CEO of Catalina Sea Ranch. Um, I joined the company about two years ago. Um, I have a bachelor's in biology. And um, I had some experience that um, was necessary to help put together a biotoxin lab, which was a project that Catalina Sea Ranch was working on two years ago. So that's when I joined the company. Um, and uh, yeah, my father has, uh, he got the permits for the first offshore aquaculture facility in 2012. And, um, and then that's 
it's taken us to 2019. Now we're selling mussels to the public. Awesome. That's great. Um, and so you guys just did the first harvest within the last six months or, or so, right? Is right. That... In July of 2018, we had our first harvest, and we um, had our fair share of delays um, due to regulatory issues. Um, and that's just what happens when you're the first ones in federal waters. Um, a lot of regulatory hurdles. So um, it took us a while, but we finally got there. And um, yeah, we've been selling for at least six months now. So, so let's talk about the, the regulatory hurdles here, because most of us think of, of us ocean regulations as a really good thing, right? We think of like, it's great. You know, we want to plan for certain things uh, and, and try to, you know, improve our spatial management and otherwise. But it's taken a long time to just grow mussels offshore here. Uh, and it's cost a lot of money. And it's been, I think, a really big journey for Phil and your whole team. Um, uh, the first person through the door gets shot, you know, is often the expression in, in these fields. And we saw that with space. We've seen that with other fields. You know, can you speak to that? Uh, you know, what, what the struggles with, with permitting here have been? Because you guys are the first uh, in California and in offshore waters. Yeah, we've had a lot of issues with um, permitting, regulations. Um, the authorities are just trying to be extra cautious. Um, but the biggest problem that we've had has been related to biotoxins, which is testing our products so that they can make sure that they're safe to sell to the public. Um, and our authorities being in federal waters are totally different than state waters and the rules that we have to follow are totally different. Um, so we've had to do 40 times the amount of testing as a farm inshore, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense scientifically, but um, that's the game that we're having to play. So it's very expensive, um, and we're trying to get the, collect the data to prove that there's no reason to require extra regulations. Um, as opposed to state farms. And, and, and can I add on that? Uh, what they're doing and what we're doing with deep offshore aquaculture, it is the future of aquaculture because what we're getting rid of is the visual blight from on land and also human runoff, human pollution. Uh, it really affects the oysters, that are, the oysters or the mussels or the seaweed because they're kind of biofilters, they're bioremediators. Uh, so when we go further offshore, we're eliminating all that pollutants from human runoff and we're starting to create a much healthier seafood. And that's why this, it is the future and it's just ridiculous these hurdles that Catalina Sea Ranch has had to go through in order to basically test a healthier muscle to get to the market. Yeah, there's, there's mussels growing everywhere, all, all over California. You look at any pier, you can find mussels, and it's really similar things. So if you go out to the ranch, I recommend anybody to jump on board uh, out of Alta Sea, try to get on a tour on uh, Captain Jack, yep. uh, and do a tour of these facilities. But, uh, but thank you guys so much for answering my questions. Um, and yeah, um, so just touching upon the regulatory issues. So in Norway, they're very stringent, and the farmers have to repeat, report daily at uh, three meters and six meters the water quality. So one of the things that we're doing is actually taking that chore away from the farmer and directly uh, giving that information either to the farmer that they can then ultimately get to the regulatory agencies, regional and federal. Um, and I, suspe I su suspect that moving forward, as more farming happens, you're always going to have these, uh, these agencies that need to, to check the water quality. And I think the more, if we approach though, if we look at Norway and what they have put there and approach it in that manner, 
where we're already being proactive in regulating ourselves, then chances are that we won't have the necessity to have Uber regulation from a, a federal level. And I think it's creating this kind of gold standard that actually, well, for the, for the, the first movers in the space, is that it's going to be tough to get you know, competition, really, uh, in this space because of how much work they've had to do uh, to get this gold standard certification. Um, yeah, there's a, on the Catalina Sea Ranch, there's actually a buoy out there right now. You can log on to uh, Nomad. Nomad.CatalinaSeaRanch.com. And you can check, you know, wave, you know, yeah, basically if there's a shark nearby or, yeah. it, you know. Doing some really interesting science and, and yeah. yes, yeah. So there's a lot of people that are really interested in this farm and, and, and just putting as many sensors as they can on the space to understand it, understand how the mussels are growing, understand how the kelp is growing. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's really so, interesting science that's gonna happen. So important well. to create the gold standard. Like, you know, as the industry leaders, I mean, because this could run off in a, in a very bad way. Um, you know, fish farming by itself is, is not sustainable, but that's why we need to add uh, IMTA, which is Integrated Multitrophic Aquaculture. You add other species around it, specifically macroalgae, and it helps bioremediate the pollution from the fish, and it actually makes the algae grow faster. So it's a symbiotic relationship, and uh, that's kind of what we're creating out there because mussels even though they're bio, they're bio filters and they're, they're great, they still release nitrates and phosphates, which then the seaweed, which we're putting right next to the farm, is going to be cleaning that up, deacidifying the ocean, you know, taking in carbon and releasing oxygen to make even a healthier uh, muscle. So it's, you know, we gotta co-locate species. So these, it creates a lot of wins, is what you're trying to say. Yeah. You know, it helps, you know, it takes up nutrients that are, you know, the, the runoff pollution, um, and otherwise it, it actually can um, help remediate climate change uh, if we do it at scale. Uh, and you're replacing some more unsustainable sources, like for fertilizer. Um, it, you can create fertilizer out of the kelp and, yep. and put it, and, and, you, and, not, and use less of this chemical fertilizer, which is creating the dead zones. So some of these, the biofuels and, and what you're trying to do with... Uh, yeah, that's the idea with this right? kelp is we're <clears throat> taking in carbon and nitrogen from the ocean and uh, our first product that we're creating is a biostimulant, is, is the technical term, but it's basically an organic seaweed fertilizer, which is being used all over the market right now. The, it's, a, it's a booming industry. Uh, people are trying to get away from synthetic fertilizers, stop dumping nitrate, which is going into our oceans, which is then acidifying the oceans, creating the dead zones. So that's what we're doing with the kelp, is that's our first product, uh, is we're essentially juicing it, um, and it creates, well, you know, it's high-pressure homogenization, and it creates this amazing pro uh, product that you use less water, and it makes the plants grow about 20 to 30% times uh, like faster, bigger. It's crazy. It's like a godsend. Um, so my last question for each of you, and then I want to turn it over to you guys. I'm sure you guys have, uh, have some really great questions, is, is where do you guys see yourselves in five to ten years, what's like the moonshot for your company? Uh, what's, what, what do you see yourself, what, what kind of stage would you like to be on in ten years? What would you like to be doing? Lindsay, you want to go first? Okay, so um, right now Catalina Sea Ranch is at 100 acres and we are in the process of applying for 3,000 acres um, expanding on the San Pedro shelf um, right out here. And um, so we're going to have 3,000 acres and we see the San Pedro shelf as being um, prime real estate for uh, aquaculture in, in America, really. It's, it's great because this is one of the largest underwater plateaus um, on the west coast, is right, right out here. Um, 
and um, very mild weather. We don't get hurricanes, um, and there's some upwelling that's coming. So the San Pedro Shelf is all 150 feet deep, and then it drops off. So there's a lot of upwelling that brings nutrients up, um, and that supplies our, our products. So um, it's perfect for aquaculture, this area, and so much so that we have trademarked the term aquaculture capital of America because we believe in the potential of the San Pedro Shelf for aquaculture. So that's where we see it going in about 10 or 15 years. Wow, that's a, that's a huge opportunity for San Pedro and, and, and for this area. And I've, I've kind of, when I've gone out to see the facility, I've really wanted a dive company to just do like a dive, yeah. you know, at your site. Um, because that would be really neat. So if anyone wants to start a company uh, to do dive operations out of Alta Sea, I'll start that company with you. <laughs> it's, it's a great dive. And um, we've seen that um, our mussel farm is creating habitat for fish. Um, so when you go out there on the weekends, there's all these cool. fishing boats right on top of the ranch. They don't know what it is. They just know that that's where the fish are. So we have um, a bunch of yellowfish tuna coming in all the time, and it's a great dive spot. Thank you. Brian, where are you at in 10 years? Oh, okay. So right now, corn is farmed in 90 million acres in America. 30 million acres is used solely for uh, biofuel. Uh, we can produce the same amount of biofuel as at 30 million acres in 1 million acres. Um, and basically, we're reducing water usage. We're freeing up land for more high-valuable crops. Uh, we're quitting jumping, dumping fertilizers. We're actually bioremediating the ocean. So ideally, in 10 years, we have about a million acres, and we're, uh, <laughs> we're just you know, a little ambitious, but you know, <laughs> RPE wants us to think that way. Department of Energy wants us to think that way. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, we're going to be producing many valuable organic byproducts because our first product is the biostimulant because you still get left over all the fibers and, uh, and the proteins. So we're creating a macro cascade, which is uh, you know, able to extract multiple valuable compounds from one feedstock, which is basically what happened in the oil industry, where you can extract things before what's left over is energy. Um, and we want to get into basically fucoidins, polysaccharides, which is in the pharmaceuticals. Um, and one of our biggest plays, we've worked with uh, and, and kind of, you know, been talking with Lolly Straw, who's creating the uh, bioplastic straw and they need alginates, specifically alginates from seaweed, and our seaweed's super high in that type of alginate. We're working on an extraction process uh, at lab scale right now. Um, so just commercial, yeah. So basically commercializing all these valuable products, which we have at lab scale, but um, yeah, you know, grow a lot of seaweed and turn it into valuable organic byproducts. Very cool, very cool. Lots of different opportunities with, with kelp and with seaweed. Um, a lot of the products you guys consume um, have come from this, uh, including toothpaste and ice cream. Ice cream. Uh, and yeah. so, uh, if you haven't tried kelp, just go out. You guys can just get a new frond. Go, go eat some uh, off the coast here. Um, pretty good. It tastes pretty good too. So a lot of opportunities with with eating it as well. Now, where are you at in ten years? Ten years? I don't know, five, ten. <laughs> wow. Um, I see, well, for Akwai, you know, clearly we're mostly right now in, in Norway, in salmon farms. Um, we've been having some talk conversations with Kimpachi Farms globally, um, seaweed uh, farms and kelp and, and the such. Um, I see also, because we are an underwater drone and because, you know, we're all about saving the seas, 
as Emily asked us to do. Um, we see other industries as well, uh, coral reef restoration. Everyone knows, especially if you're a nonprofit, how costly it is sometimes to send crews out and how advantageous it would be to be able to drop in a, you know, one of our fish there and get that information and that data back to your screen without the you know, worry of sending a, a dive crew. Um, right now, as you saw in the video, the fish is uh, connected to a cable because the farmers wanted it that way because they're getting a 24-7 feed. Our units do not have to swim with you know, that tether. Um, they can float out in the open as well, um, giving the information um, you know, through a, its own kind of tag-along buoy system, if you will. So I see us in other industries besides aquaculture, coral reef restoration. I think coastal flooding is, is also right, is, is apparently becoming more and more um, obvious that we need to have different measures. Um, reinsurers have come to us and said, you know, they they lose people sometimes when they have to send them out to get the after after a coastal flooding situation, the water is stagnant and there's bacteria and disease and it's very toxic, and they could use the units um, in those scenarios as well. So for us, it's really you know multiple industries ten years out. But as a young company, you're always putting your blinders on and you have your targets and your milestones to hit. So for us right now, it's all focused in aquaculture and growing in aquaculture and then rolling out in the other industries in the future. Awesome, <laughs> um, so we got about five minutes left. Over to you guys. Anne. Any other questions um, for the panel about aquaculture? Sean, back. I came in late on this. Is there a way for us to still eat a little bit of fish and not ruin our It can't be far, or it, it has to be farmed. It cannot be wild fish. We hit peak fish 20 years ago, um, and we've seen what's happened just in San Pedro with the collapse of the tuna industry, which is why all these warehouses have been empty for the last 50 years. Um, so we can't keep pulling wild fish out of the ocean. We have to do can't be farmed alternatives. Can't be pirates, can't be pillagers. Yeah. It's time for us to farm, just like yeah. what happened on land. You know, we killed the woolly mammoths. We're like, oh crap, we better start to uh, you know, farm these cows. We don't just take the cows, you know, which that's a terrible industry. And with seaweed, we can end cow farts too, by the way, which is 25% of greenhouse gas emissions, yeah. methane, you know. Sustainable farming. Let the wild replenish itself and farm smartly. We made a lot of mistakes farming on land. Let's not make those same mistakes farming in the ocean. Correct. And some original mistakes in aquaculture around the also, world. Also, you know, absolutely. Are, there's, you know, when you say aquaculture, people do get this. They go, kind of, mm. uh, They're like, ah, shrimp farms. And, you know, I only some, buy wild cod. Some, yeah. some countries, we get 90% of our seafood imported. I think somebody mentioned this earlier. Um, and you usually get it from a... a not so great source right now. Um, it's it's wild, wild west, like you're saying, in terms of uh, regulation of, of seafood. Um, but this seafood is really, you know, especially mussels, I think is one of the most sustainable foods on the planet. I just want to defend it this in, in terms of just making a food. I mean, it's barely even a meat. It's like a weed. And, and really, like, they're arguing vegans should eat this because it's more sustainable than soy. It's more sustainable than anything you can grow on land. So it's yeah. just... I don't want to oversell mussels too much, but, um, <laughs> but don't we don't know. eat enough of them. Like, so we, healthy for we're, just, we're not yeah. eating enough so mussels healthy. in the United States. Yeah. So. Anyway. Hey, uh, Brian, just follow up on Cal's uh, 
how far it's staying and what, <laughs> what, uh, what your the seaweed products can do, especially here like in Central California. Right. And how much pollution we get from that. And people don't even realize that. Uh, yeah, I mean, cow burping and cow farting is 25% of greenhouse gas emissions right now. And methane is 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide. And they, did, they discovered about two and a half years ago, this was actually why we got into the industry, because we're like, okay, it's our duty to scale the growth of this type of seaweed and just start working with farmers and feeding it to them. Unfortunately, there's uh, tons of, like, uh, let's see, Nature Conservancy. There's, um, there's a lot of groups, Stanford, are working on the cultivation method of this little, it's called a Sparagopsis taxiformis. We haven't completed the life cycle and the ability to really scale it. Um, but many people are working on it, and once that happens, and we're going to be going after that down in uh, Mexico trying to scale the growth. We've been working with Mexican relations, too, because California is so tough to get any permitting by, so we're like, oh, let's go to Mexico. More wild, wild west. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone gets that right, that, that it's how cows process their food, you know, yeah. that, and they're being fed things like grain that is, is, is actually really bad for them that's causing all this them to... Burp yeah, the, stu the studies show that if you do feed this, uh, it's only at 1% of their diet, so it's about half a pound a day. It eliminates 99% of all methane uh, emissions from the cow. And what that does is it keeps the energy in the cow, so the cows are actually growing faster, producing more milk, and it's healthier. And they're doing all these studies at UC Davis and Australia and Stanford, and so it's proven that it actually makes a healthier cow, and you save a lot of energy. Um, so, you know, hopefully we're, we'll be able to scale the growth of that type of seaweed in, you know, the next couple years or decades. If we could get people to shift their behaviors, the behavior that we're looking for is eat lower on the food chain, low trophic aquaculture. That's what shellfish aquaculture is. It's low on the food chain. So it's sustainable. It's the most sustainable animal protein on Earth. Um, so switching, for example, a burger or even a fish or a tuna, for, alternatively, you can eat a plate of mussels or oysters or scallops. That's much better for the planet. And seaweed. Yeah, and, and I'm just going to argue, you know, for climate-related impacts, you know, it, it's just so good. It's just like... It's right here. It's it's not using energy uh, to create, and so I think you got to think of through those alternatives and what the market is right now. Unfortunately, people are eating more seafood than ever before because of the health benefits that they're seeing all these studies, and and so people like Sylvia Earle and others argue you shouldn't eat fish at all, right? And no seafood at all. And I'm actually of the different opinion on that uh, that we should be eating more mussels than you should be eating. Um, some other things. So you have to be specific. I think it's just not like a catch-all. Like, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good exploratory question, but it's a, can you change behavior at large? You know, I think people are trying, but... Uh, yeah, we're the, we're the guinea pigs. Um, there's people poised, ready to come in, buy in. You know, DuPont is a big investor into uh, seaweed farms uh, for chemicals um, uh, I, I you know I think that's what we're building the infrastructure where the guinea pigs and the big guys are going to try to come in uh, hopefully we can stand up ourselves and tell them no but you know hold them off for yeah, a hold while. them off for a minute <laughs> um, yeah reinsurers but yeah there's there's tons of big money interests that it, it, 
everyone knows this is, I mean, aquaculture surpassed uh, agriculture um, about four years ago uh, in the world economy. It's not like 250 billion. Agriculture sitting at like uh, 200 billion, and it's just exponentially rising. It is, it, yeah, that's where it's happening. Can this be our last question, Mike? Is that right? Okay. So, Catalina Sea Ranch is six miles from the coast of Huntington Beach. So, at that distance, we're really not experiencing any of the nearshore pollution that you might find um, in some of the state's farms. So, we're quite a distance out. Ocean's a huge place. Pollution dissipates really quickly. Um, that's why what they're doing and what we're doing going offshore is the cleanest and healthiest seafood because we don't have to deal with all the pollutant runoff uh, because it literally dissipates before it gets six miles out there. We're operating also six to eight miles off. We're all in marine. We're not, you know, in some large tanks and stuff. And um, we're also monitoring the feed waste. So one of the key issues in aquaculture is, you know, ratio in and versus out, um, mm -hmm. at least with finfish. And so we're making certain that the reduction uh, of feed occurs. Uh, and with that, to answer your question, so big players like Cargill are also looking more into AI um, uh, data sources because as feed decreases, clearly they want to still have a value add through their existing customer base. So they're trying to get more into the technological AI game to offer that to their existing customer base. So. And sardines and anchovies not very sustainable, it's a depleting stock. Uh, actually, we stopped all catching of sardines on the, in California. Um, unfortunately, Mexico didn't follow suit, even though we put major pressure on them, so they're still grabbing all the sardines. Um, that's a really unfortunate thing. You can't farm those, no. Not that, not that I know of, actually, excuse me if I'm speaking a, out of. Yeah, it's yeah. a big lag time between do domesticating a new species. That's correct, yeah. Some of the species we haven't well, done yet. Tuna well, is, people tuna are working life. real hard on tuna, but there's no way to close that life cycle yet. Um, tuna needs, because we, we all love tuna, it's one of our favorite fish, but we're just wild catching it. And that's all, all you can, all you can eat is wild caught tuna. So. Oh, can we thank our panelists here? Um, What an, another exciting panel. I mean, you know, how do you feed a billion people? Um, and I'm really excited about that. I think a couple things that come to mind, you know, Katie is here from Patty, and I don't know if you caught that at the beginning, but dive site, right? I'm in the middle of getting certified thanks to Patty, but I think that might be my first dive site that I go to, so that could be fun. And, you know, the other thing Matt and I were talking about is next year is, um, you know, out here on the grass, you know, we're thinking about having some sort of like from ocean to table type of dinner and, you know, maybe pulling in some of the aquaculture folks and grabbing some of the food that they're growing out there and bringing in chefs and, you know, uh, incorporating ocean-friendly restaurants as well into everything. So that's something we can look forward to next year.